Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We're going to start out today by sharing a comment from a listener. I intended to share it yesterday, but forgot. And so I wanted to share it at the beginning today to make sure I didn't forget this time. This is a comment by Elizabeth, who is one of our Patreon contributors. And I'm so incredibly grateful to her and each of the contributors to the podcast. And she says... Thank you, Chaz. I love the podcast. I think it's the best one I've come across on the internet regarding NDEs. You have a lot of knowledge and wisdom on the subject, and it is so interesting and insightful. In a way, I think spreading the word and teaching about the messages behind near-death experiences is a life purpose in itself, and it surely inspires faith in God and hope in faith. So thank you for taking your time and sending these uplifting messages and reminding listeners what really matters in life. I'm definitely supportive of the podcast because I think you're doing a great job reading, teaching, and sharing the experiences. It's a great thing that uh, this podcast can happen in this day and age. Best of luck to you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth. I can't tell you what that means to me. And I agree with you that it's really awesome to be in a time when this is possible, when, you know, some guy down in central Utah can put out a podcast and reach the world. Anybody who's searching for uh, answers to their questions about these things or, or to join the journey with me in seeking out the answers to those questions. What a time that we live in. What an incredible opportunity that we have as people. And, you know, that reflects one of the great messages of near-death experiences is that we're here to love. We're here to share the message of love in whatever way that means. I've heard of people talking about how they've realized that it's their life purpose to, uh, you know, work with people in a hospital setting or or in their workplace where they are because maybe there's a lot of discouragement there or fear and they feel like they can be a beacon of hope to the people around them or at least offer to them a beacon of hope in the joy and love that they share because love is a beacon that every one of us seeks and longs for and feels out for. And when we encounter it in any way, part of us latches to it. Now, it's true that sometimes in a frustrating moment, we tend to shun love, but that's only because we are really seeking it. And and it's kind of, you know, that that backlash effect of, of, you know, when we get really frustrated with something, we pull against the things that we want most because we're afraid of losing it, which is a weird thing about human nature that we do that kind of thing. But those kinds of sensations of pulling away from love tend to be short-term and they tend to be for a moment or for an hour while we, you know, get through this mood that we're in right now and so forth. But, you know, in moments of discouragement, in moments of just about every other kind of emotion, we cling to love. And so whatever you're doing in life, whatever your stage is, wherever you're working, wherever you're going to school, whatever you're doing, even if you're just with children all day at home, one child say, what a blessed gift that is to be able to devote so much love 
to one individual, or to five or six in my wife's case. There are some days where she is with our kids all day without respite, <laughs> and that's a challenge. Any of you who are full-time parents can attest. Being a full-time parent is tough, but what an act of love, even in the times when it's most frustrating. Love shines through. It just does. So, let's get on to the experience today. This is by a woman uh, whose experience is shared on ions.org, the International Association of Near-Death Studies website. And again, you'll have to forgive my voice. I'm still overcoming a cold or still working my way through a cold. I don't know at what stage I'm at so far. But anyway, um, so here is the experience shared on ions.org. Years ago, I was invited to a lecture given by a Tibetan Lama. I enjoyed listening to him. His accent was musical. The smell of incense, the sound of bells, the robes, and his mala all seemed to evoke a deep remembering. It wasn't until he answered a question from the audience that he had my full attention. I don't remember the question, but I do remember the answer. He said, bleeding to death is one of the most conscious and favorable ways to die because you stay present till the last possible second and you can feel and observe the stages of separation we undergo when leaving the physical realm. This riveted me. I knew it to be true and yet I had never heard it, heard anyone confirm it. My body vibrated with joy. Somehow, it felt validated. See, when I was 25 years old, I hemorrhaged and bled to death after the birth of my second child. I had what is known as a near-death experience. I had a long, arduous 18-hour labor, and when my son was eventually born, we were both pretty battered. I was taken to a ward and left alone to rest, welcoming the quiet and the privacy. I thought I might sleep a little, but first I thanked my body for coming through the ordeal at the hands of a young, inexperienced doctor. I prayed for my tiny son who was bruised and traumatized by the journey through my pelvis and thanked God for delivering us both safely and giving me the strength and courage to give birth naturally without drugs. I felt empowered. It seemed possible to do anything. I decided to squirm and find a comfortable position to sleep as I was beyond exhaustion. As I moved, I realized I was stuck in the sheets with something warm and sticky, and I was so lightheaded that I couldn't sit up to see the problem. Suddenly, a cold electric tingling began to wash through me and my field of vision was filled with pinpricks of dancing light. After a short while, a nurse came in and looked at me. She seemed alarmed and moved swiftly to check my pulse. I saw her raise my arm, holding, holding on to my wrist, but I could not feel her touch. Then I heard her yell, Code Blue, this woman has no pulse. I tried to speak and realized I was unable to make a sound. I couldn't breathe. 
I panicked, desperately sending the signal to breathe to my lungs, but with no response. My body was shutting down and I had an intense feeling of claustrophobia. All my senses began to close down one by one. I heard a commotion in the hall. There was the sound of people running, yelling instructions and pushing noisy machinery at what sounded like great speed. This scared me. I was so tired. I didn't want to see or feel what they would do to me. I had just had enough. This was where it became clear to me that death is in fact an exhale that can no longer be followed by an inhale. That simple. I don't think I had ever really appreciated my breath before, but in that moment, I knew the true value of my breath. Your breath is all that stands between you and death. A breath fully breathed is the Holy Spirit in action. And when you consciously breathe, you are in a state of grace. I was ashamed at how much I had taken my life-sustaining breath for granted. In what I am sure was just seconds, I popped out of the crown of my head. Popped is a good description because there was an initial audible pop as I left my body through the spot in my skull that in, in infants is called the soft spot or fontanelle. The panic was over almost instantly and I was floating around the ceiling of the hospital room looking down on a body I realized was me. I felt no attachment to the body, just curiosity. I looked smaller than I had imagined and different. It wasn't until years later that I realized we never see ourselves as others see us. We only see our reflections in mirrors or photos. At that stage, I was a sculpture teacher doing a death mask as part of a piece of artwork. As I took the mask out of the mold, I saw my face from my deathbed. Not the one I see every day in the mirror looking back at me. It was an aha moment. As nurses and doctors ran into the room, I realized I didn't want to be there anymore. So I traveled up and out of the building into the night sky. I felt... felt free and unencumbered and was drawn toward the stars. I realized I could just float over treetops and go home to visit my family, but the call of the night sky was stronger. I wanted to soar into space and be free. I realized I was traveling at the speed of thought. All I had to do was think upward and I would be moving until I changed my thought or altered it. This was amazing, and it took some getting used to. I felt the way my old belief system severely limited me. I realized my thoughts were instantly creating my reality, so I'd better be clear. I turned, looked back, and saw the Earth. She was a jewel suspended in space, so beautiful. I loved Earth. In fact, I was more attached to it than I had been 
to my own body. I felt bereft to be leaving her, and I now understood what is meant by the saying, the earth is our mother, she is a living organism. I had been too self-absorbed to notice. Then, wondering what to do in this situation, I began to see my life played before me like a holographic movie. What I mean by that is that I watched it in three dimensions with all my senses employed. I was a witness to my own life, an objective witness. I say objective because I felt the feelings of everyone involved and saw each person's point of view, not just my own selfish perspective. The first scene that I saw was when I was about two years old and I pushed my neighbor off my swing, sending him home crying. And I felt good because it was my swing. In another, there was a young man in college who fell, who fell in love with me quickly because he knew I was the one for him. His passion and intensity frightened me, so I ran away without explanation. I felt his pain. I'd broken his heart. During this review of my life, I saw another theme. By not telling the truth, when I was clear about how I felt, I kidded myself about sparing the other person, or I avoided a confrontation by pretending confusion. I was shown how damaging this was. It is like a stone dropped in the middle of a still pond. The ripples go on till they meet the shore, then bounce and travel some more, acting and interacting. The consequences are felt in ways we can't even imagine. When it was over, I felt confused. I said to myself, wait a minute, I didn't see any of my good deeds. Not one time I gave or received love. And a voice said to me, the love you gave and the love you receive are yours for eternity. You only answer for your incompletions, all the things not said or done. What I had seen made sense. I saw all my incompletions. Why hadn't someone told me? I could have done it differently. I also realized I was being shown all the paths not taken in my life. There were many paths available, paths seemingly effortless, virtual superhighways, straight and well lit with no speed limit, like the Autobahn in Germany. There were also twisting, wooded paths with rest stops, like the beckoning roads through the countryside, mysterious and dark, alluring because I couldn't imagine where the path might end or what adventures might await. We often choose this winding path because it is the model which has been set for us by our families. We don't believe we deserve the clear, effortless path, or it will be boring or uneventful, or it might be too visible, or not challenging or too adventurous. Also, we are afraid that if we take the direct path, we will arrive at God too quickly and our lives will be over. Which, I might add, shows us how little we trust the Almighty. This is one way we perpetuate suffering. Then I was shown the times in my life where angels had been there to directly help me. They 
wore many disguises, and I was appalled by my lack of recognition and lack of gratitude, stunned at how loved and protected I had been in my relatively short life. At 15, I was in the hospital to have a cyst the size of a grapefruit removed from an ovary. The operation had gone wrong, and while going to the bathroom afterwards, my incision opened, letting me look in horror at my intestines. I was reclamped, but an infection set in. As I lay in bed, I wanted to die. I see, it seemed my life was only full of pain. A presence appeared at the side of my bed in the dark and in the dark and kept vigil. As the sun rose in the morning and the rays shone in on my face, this presence said, Have heart, the best is yet to come. Then he disappeared. I began recovering. In another instance, while in college, I had been away out of state for a homecoming weekend and had and had to make it back to my dorm before curfew. There had been a comedy of errors during my attempts to return. I misplaced my ticket, the plane was late, etc. I had a 103 degree temperature from strep throat and no money. I got into Port Authority in New York City and realized I needed $19 and change to get a bus back to my college. I was sick and desperate when a man walked out of the crowd, handed me a $20 bill and said, get back safely. He was gone before I could say thank you. He was an angel. I was shown others and that these examples were just a few of many instances. It took me a while to absorb all that I was being shown. I felt like I was being broken open. Once again, traveling with the speed of thought, I found myself approaching what looked like a tunnel. Naturally curious and also quite cautious, I stepped up to the ribbed opening. The tunnel was tall enough to walk into, but it appeared to narrow as it progressed. It was a dark corridor, brownish, grayish, pinkish, and felt soft like velvet. As I investigated, I was drawn to look to the far end, towards the brightest light I had ever seen. The light was alive. Imagine a powder snow that falls off an evergreen tree into the wind, and the sun catches it falling. Each flake is a transcendent rainbow sparkling in the wind. That is what it was like, only more magical, because it was alive. I decided I had to go and see it, no matter what the cost. As I arrived at the end of the tunnel and stepped into the light, I noticed golden egg-like shapes of light moving. I can't exactly say how I realized this, but within each golden shape, there was a recognizable person. Off to my... Off to my left was my father. I was overjoyed to see him as he had died when I was only 20 years old, and I'd missed him with all my heart. Daddy, I thought. All thoughts were telepathic. 
That had been a natural way of communication between my father and I when he was alive. My father had severe multiple sclerosis and was quadriplegic my entire life. As with many people, when something is lost physically, something else is gained. He had a brilliant mind, and I grew up talking to him without speaking. I never knew how unusual our method of communicating was until he was gone, and unfortunately it became an ability of mine that had to be squelched. I found that people do not like their minds read. It is said that all humans have the ability to communicate telepathically, and I believe they do. The only thing that impedes telepathy is secrets, lies, and withholds. These things shut us down. My father was also standing. I had never in my life seen him stand or walk. He looked vibrant and in the prime of his life, and I was ecstatic. He was healed, and we exchanged a flood of love from heart to heart. I noticed a line of lights behind him winding away in the, into the distance, and I asked my father, who are they? He looked at me gently and said, these are your ancestors. They have come to greet you. Didn't you know that we are the living hope of our ancestors? What they couldn't accomplish during their lives, they counted on you to resolve. You got as far as you did because you were able to stand on their bones. I could see my lineage stretched out in front of me and I was awed and humbled. I could never feel alone again. Then I shifted my focus to a light directly in front of me. I knew instantly it was Jesus. I reached forward with my hands, sensing there must be a membrane of some, or some barrier I needed to move through to come into his presence and felt a welcoming force field. As I touched it, my hands began to transform into golden light and it traveled up my arms, my heart streaming love to Christ and receiving it simultaneously. It was profound. I was melting ecstatically into golden light and all knowingness, a peace that surpassed all understanding. As it turned out, this golden light must have activated my hands because in later years, I realized I could see with my hands. When I do hands-on healing within the sanctity of a session, it is as if my hands can detect any disturbances or irregularities, physical or otherwise. This is one of the gifts I returned with and now use to ease pain or to restore well-being when asked. As the light reached my shoulders and was ready to arc across my chest, a voice said, What about your children? I was disoriented and annoyed. What? And then I remembered I had a small daughter and a newborn son. Who would care for them? As I thought of my then husband, I saw the lives of my children, the lives that they would have if I left them to be raised by them. And it 
wasn't acceptable. In desperation, I tried to think of someone else who could raise my children. How about my mother? My mother-in-law? My best friend? Again, none of these possible lives were acceptable to me. My children deserved more. They needed me. I looked at Christ and knew, as difficult as it was to leave the light, my commitment was to my children. I have to go back, I thought. At that very second, I was back in my body, in the hospital, cold, in terrible pain, and deeply sad. The doctors and nurses were giving me a transfusion. I have a rare blood type, and all they had available was blood that had been frozen and not sufficiently warmed. It was horribly cold in half my body, and I felt like, and it felt like a thousand bees stinging me. The other half of my body was warmer after the blood passed through my heart. This is the power of free will. It is, a, it is our privilege to be granted free will. We decide, and that has tremendous power. How can we play victim in the face of this truth? I still found it too painful to stay conscious, so once again I left my body and found myself in what looked like a round, domed marble room surrounded by arches and filled with a heavy mist or fog. I was levitated into the middle of the room where there were 24 teachers sitting in a circle around me. They were robed and some seemed to have hoods. Some were bearded and as a group they emanated the wisdom of the universe. What in heaven's name was I doing in a group like this? They told me things to ease my pain and taught me. I absorbed their teachings eagerly as if they were water for my thirsty soul. There came a point where they asked if I had any questions, and I was allowed to ask until there were absolutely no questions left. I was filled with a glorious silence and felt whole. Later, after I recovered consciousness, I remembered the teachings for about three days. Then life seemed to overwhelm me, and the teachings faded into the background. I know they are still part of me, and sometimes I come across a truth I, and I can remember. Ah, yes, I know that to be true. I remained unconscious throughout the day. Finally, there was a wise elderly nurse who took it upon herself to bring my baby into the room and let him cry at my side. It was like his cry went through time and space and found me and called me back. I heard his cry and followed the sound. I fought to come back to my body to hold him to my breast and actually felt my spirit drop into my body with a thud. This experience altered me. It set my life on a course of service and healing. It gave me the inner knowing that we are all the living hope of our ancestors. It gave me direct experience of life everlasting, and it proved to me 
I am here by choice to fulfill my soul's purpose, that I am an individual and unique fragment of the God force, and that I will never be seen again in all the worlds in this form. Therefore, I am precious, exceedingly precious. It does not matter what I do. I am asked only to be the love that I and I alone carry on this earth now when I am so de desperately needed. I also realized sometimes death is the final healing. Since the fear of death keeps so many people from actually living, fear of death can consume life. In addition, I learned it is truly marvelous to be in spirit form, to be in my light body, unlimited, all-knowing, unencumbered, but it is only in our human bodies that we can hold a newborn baby to our breast, walk on the beach at sunrise, make love, smell a rose, or taste a strawberry. It is here in our bodies that the lessons of love are made manifest. It is on this marvelous human adventure that we actually increase the God consciousness as co-creators whenever we choose love, knowing of course that there is free will, there is rejoicing in heaven every time I take a deep breath with consciousness. I am remembering and renewing my spirit, my connection to spirit, and the privilege of being alive. That is the end of the experience, and wow, what an experience. Every time I feel like saying, that's the most uh, expansive experience I've read in a long time, I come across another one that's every bit as expansive. So, I mean, these are, th this is an interesting aspect to near-death experiences that is coming to light now, is that, you know, there is more to these things often, anyway, than just a tunnel, bright light, and then wake up. There's, I mean, details and and beautiful, uh, you know, imagery and and landscapes and just, I mean, this has so many things in here that's that are worth mentioning. So let's start with the moment that she dies. Okay, that her her uh, heart has stopped beating. She's coded. She can't take in a breath. And all of a sudden, she pops out of her body. Now, this seems like a funny thing to say, but she says popped is a good description because there was an internally audible pop as she left her body. As And she says she came out the very tip of her head, the, the spot where the, the soft spot is on an infant's head, and uh, very tip of the head. I've heard that a lot. That seems to be the most common place for spirits to exit the body is through the top of the head. I'm left wondering, you know, a lot of times the bed is up against the wall. Do they slide out and out into the next room, so to speak? Or are they like squeezing out? You know, I mean, there's a lot of question about that. And yet the detail given is so clear. And it seems that she may not even, she's not noticing, you know, for example, does she she's popping out of her body is this a body coming out of a body like a spirit body coming out of a body or is it just she's just her 
Did it feel like her eyes, her view, if you will, pop out of her body? I, I don't know for sure. I'm not sure she knows for sure. But at first she's, you know, I mean, right right before this moment when she's panicking because she can't take in a breath, um, she pops out through her head, tip of her head, and she says the panic is over almost instantly. She's floating in the ceiling of the hospital looking down at the bottle, body, and she feels no attachment, but just feels... She gives this interesting uh, analogy of being a sculpture teacher doing a death mask as part of a piece of artwork. You know, it's it's like she's looking at her body as if to say, okay, here you go, there's the body. It's done. You know, and I think that's her way of of seeing uh, the her body for the first time. You know, if you've seen yourself on video, obviously you've seen yourself not as you see yourself on a in a mirror because you look in the mirror, you're seeing left side on the right and right side on the left. Whereas you see yourself on video and you say, I look kind of odd, you know. I see myself with my family and I feel like, okay, everybody else looks normal, but who's this weird guy that I know is me? You know, he just looks out of place. And I wonder if that's kind of what people experience, but in three dimensions. And so it's it's even more so, if you will, even more that way than what people expect, I guess. And so she has kind of an aha moment. Oh, you know, I don't look like I'm used to seeing myself. I look like, you know, not mirror version of myself. And then, this beautiful part, I love this. She's drawn to the night sky. Now, I don't know about you, but in dreams, when I realize I'm dreaming and it's nighttime, I am drawn to the night sky and I want to fly into it. And sometimes I can, but more often I just can't. Or else maybe I can float part way up and then I just can't get any further. But she is free. And she talks about it as as feeling free and unencumbered. She's drawn toward the stars and and she realizes she could just float over the treetops and go home. And, and, and she could go home or she could, you know, go and visit anywhere. But she feels drawn into space. And so she shoots out into space, I gather, because she says, I was traveling at the speed of thought. And she looks back at the earth and it's not clear whether she is standing, you know, floating a thousand miles above or, you know, 10,000 million miles above looking back at this, you know, spot and comprehending it as the full earth. It's not clear, but she says, she, meaning the earth, she was a jewel suspended in space. So beautiful. And she says, I loved the earth. She felt more attached to the earth than she had to her body. And it felt a little bit, she felt a bit bereft leaving the earth. And she keeps saying her. I think that's beautiful. The earth is our mother. She's a living organism. She says, I had been too self-absorbed, I guess, in her life to notice. Interesting. And then she has this life review, this is holographic life review laid before her eyes, I assume floating in space or while she's zooming in space, one or the other. And she sees the objective things that, uh, or she sees things objectively like, uh, you know, a, a bystander 
viewing things, but more than a bystander because she's seeing things from their perspective, the perspective of the individuals. This is how life reviews seem to happen. And yet unique to hers, because while I've heard of some people only seeing the negative, um, more often they see both the positive and the negative. And she says she felt confused because she's like, wait a minute, I don't see any of my good deeds. Not one time that I gave or received love. And a voice says to her that she doesn't say where this voice came from or, or whether it was just in her mind or as if her own mind was telling her this or what. I, it's unclear, but she says a voice in her, a voice said, the love you give and the love you receive are yours for eternity. You only answer for your incompletions, all the things not said or done. And that is interesting to me because it's not as much a matter of what she did wrong as the things that she didn't do that she could have. At least that's what I gather from what she says next. She says, I saw all my incompletions. Why hadn't anybody told me? I could have done it differently. And this is so interesting to me and, and something that, that I can't help but ponder on. I can't help meditate on this. You know, she says, I could have done it differently. I also realized I was being shown all the paths not taken in my life. There were many paths available, paths seemingly effortless, virtual superhighways, straight and well lit with no speed limit. She says, that's it's, it's like this freeway. I could just zoom on through life wonderfully, happily, fulfilling my life purpose. But then she says there are also twisting wooded pathways with rest stops like beckoning roads through a countryside, mysterious and dark, alluring because I couldn't imagine where the path might end or what adventures might await. I, I'm a little unclear on this part, whether she's saying I could have taken the easy life and just had it done exactly what I was supposed to, wouldn't have been wouldn't have been any problem at all. Or I could take winding roads that were adventurous and learn new things and try new things. Or if she's or if she's saying that, you know, these were unnecessary winding paths that just made it more difficult, I don't know. But she goes on to say, we often choose this winding path because it is the model which has been set for us by our families. That's interesting to me because usually that model set by our families is what looks like the straight road. It, you know, in our lives, it's like, I should just live up to my expectations, do the thing that that people say I should do because that's the easy way. It's the, it's the effortless way. And yet my passions don't lean that way. And yet it's the easy way. But apparently it's not. And that's what she seems to be saying, these winding paths, you don't have to go there. She says, all the things not said or done. And then uh, she says, we don't believe we deserve the clear effortless path, or it will be boring or uneventful, or it might be too visible or not challenging or too adventurous. She says, also, we are afraid that if we take the direct path, we will arrive at God too quickly and our lives will be over. Which, I might add, she continues, shows us how little trust we have in the Almighty. This is one of the way we, ways we perpetuate suffering. That is so interesting to me. What is it about this life that 
you know, it, it sounds like what she's saying is the hard life is the life that may be expected of us by society. That that's not the way that, it, that we're, that's not what we're here for. That's not why we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do. She says that, that those things are unnecessary suffering. We're per perpetuating our own suffer, suffering unnecessarily. They're super highways. And, and she says one of the reasons we avoid them is because we're afraid, I assume as spirits, that we'll complete our life purpose too quickly and that we'll die early because we just finished it too fast and then we'll go to God. And she says that just shows how little faith we have in the Almighty. <laughs> I, I don't even know where to go with that. You know, as, as far as life purpose is concerned. Does that mean you do the things that are easy in life? Well, not necessarily, because often the easy thing seems easy because it's the expected thing. You know, I should just get a job and do this, you know, same job that my parents and grandparents did, and then, you know, take care of my family and, and then never try these things that I would love to do, but are just too expensive or too time consuming or whatever. But these things that are calling out to me. And maybe that's not even what she's talking about. Maybe she's not talking about living your dreams, so to speak. Maybe she's talking about doing good and serving. I don't know. I don't know. But I would love to. I wish I could have a conversation with this woman. But she's anonymous. She doesn't share her name. So if, if she ever hears this, I want to interview you specifically on this topic. Because it's something that... I have felt very drawn to lately this question of life purpose and fulfilling your personal destiny, for lack of a better better word, the thing that you came here to do, as well as as doing the things that you uniquely can do, your gifts, your opportunities, your placement in life, your context, your spirit itself, your individual being as you are. You're here to do good. You're here to do amazing things. But what are those things? And I don't know. I don't know. Some people, some people are able to get the answers when they pray that this is their path. Or that that is their path. And some sometimes those paths are, this is your path right now. And it will change at some point. And then you will do this. And then you will do that. And unless we're close to God, I can't see any way to be guided in the way that we're supposed to go. And the only way, or the best way, I should say, that I know to be close to God is to pray. Sincerely pray. Speak to him. Don't just, uh, you know, get in your, in your, you know, prayer position, rattle off what's expected to be said, and then, you know, go to bed or whatever, <laughs> you know, your nightly prayers might be like or your whatever. Open your prayer. Talk to him. And then open your heart to him. Communicate with him. Ask him questions. I don't know whether the answers will come right away. I don't know if they'll even come in this life, but open that kind of a relationship with God. It's the only thing that I think we have any chance of finding our life purpose. At least, let me put it this way, I, I think it's the only way that we can find out and know and be confident of our life purpose. 
Otherwise, we're left to either stumble upon it, which I think most of us do eventually, or we live against it and we go against it. Because remember, we have agency. We have choice. And we can choose not to do the things that we came here to do. But, you know, I could have done it differently, she says. She even sees, she says, I realized that I was being shown all the paths not taken in life. So she saw all these different things she could have done with her life. And she's like, why didn't anybody tell me? Why didn't anybody tell me? I could have done it differently. I could do it differently. And yet I'm sure after this experience, I'm sure she did. I'm sure she did. And I hope she did. And I hope all of us being in this situation of knowing these things. I mean, think about this. Just think about the miracle of this knowledge is. Whether or not you fully accept and believe it, okay? If you do, all the more so. If you don't, just consider this idea, okay? Here we were in the spirit pre-mortal world or life, whatever you want to call it, the spirit world, before we came to earth and we had these things that we were coming here to accomplish, not fully knowing exactly how we would go about it, how we would feel about it, what it would really feel like to be faced with the question of, do I do the thing that my heart says I need to do? Or do I do this thing that's going to pay the bill that will keep us in our home? Do I do the thing that's going to hurt this other person, even though I feel like I need to let them go? You know, in the example, for example, the, uh, the man that was, had fallen in love with her and that she kind of ditched um, in order to avoid having to face, uh, you know, uh, breaking his heart or whatever. She realized she did break his heart. You know, do I, do I go to that person and say, look, it's over. I can't continue and then move on. Or do I just kind of skirt them and, you know, or do I stay with them in order to not hurt them? And by so doing hurt myself. I mean, these are all questions that were kind of like, Ugh. I, you know, why can't we just know the answers? And yet, and yet, this is the point that I was trying to make. We came to this earth not fully knowing what we would go through and what we would choose, but having a map deep down inside of us. Those of you listening know about these experiences. You know about the afterlife. You know about the before life. You know that we came to this life, or at least you are being educated in this knowledge that you don't necessarily believe in, perhaps, but the idea of it is there. And if you're this far in, I suspect you at least have an inkling of belief, at least enough to think maybe, maybe it's true. But that is something. And us knowing this, what can we possibly do with our lives except point them toward the God who can give us the answers to how we can proceed in life and fulfill that life that is the superhighway, that is even the adventurous, exciting superhighway, where we'll have challenging, exciting experiences and fulfill our life purpose and, and learn all these things that, that were maybe even extras. I mean, we, we can do it so differently. 
if she's looking at her life and saying, I could have done it differently, I suggest to you now, the life that you are having right now, you can do it differently. All those things that are telling you, well, I can't do this because of this. I can't do that because of that is lies that you're telling yourself. It's not true. You have the capacity to choose. Does that mean it's going to be easy? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Are you going to be jumping straight onto the freeway? Well, probably not. Most of us who are way off on some side road and and are sick of dra- driving through weeds because the path disappeared long ago, are gonna, it's going to be a little bit of a trek working our way back to the highway. But we may come to a paved road, and then we may from there come to a highway, and we may from there be able to get to the freeway. And I'm not suggesting the freeway to be, you know, that grand and narrow place that, uh, that many go, um, but, uh, you know, the straight and narrow being the avoided path, that's not what she's talking about at all. If I'm understanding her right, she's saying, we take all these hard paths because we believe things that aren't true. And we take all these hard paths because we assume things that are completely against reality. And once we know what true reality is, that we are children of God sent to earth to do certain things because we want to, because we love them, because we are here to share and express love. And to any of you that may still be grappling with the question of, well, are we talking about love for other people or love for myself? Because I know by serving other people, I have to give up everything that I want and I have to be miserable in order to love other people. Baloney. That is not the way it works. It's true that sometimes we will give up things that we want. No question about it. But when you share love, you receive love. When you give in some kind of selfish way of saying, well, I'm going to be self-sacrificing in order to prove X, Y, Z, that's not love, and that's not even proving anything. When you genuinely share love, you get it back. Partly from the people you're serving, partly from God, partly from yourself. When you do things that you love, you are serving. When you do things that serve other people, you are loving. And when you're serving yourself, truly serving yourself, not just being a selfish jerk, but truly loving yourself, you are loving and you are serving. It's all one, people. We are all children of God when you serve yourself, truly serve yourself, not, you know, not being selfish, but truly serve yourself, you are giving love. And when you give love to other people, you're serving yourself. It, it goes both ways. You've probably heard the idea that when you serve other people, you are serving God. Well, when you serve other people, you're also serving yourself. And when you serve God, you're also serving yourself. And when you serve yourself, you're also serving God and you're also serving other people. It's all one thing. It's all one thing. We are here to love. So when you feel some inner yearning towards something, it could be, I can't guarantee it because I've had yearnings toward things that didn't pan out even when I tried. But when you're yearning for something, when you feel a pull towards some change in your life, towards some new project, towards something that you're like, I feel like I need to do this thing. Find a way to give it a chance. It may be the way to do things differently. It may be the way to turn your life around and turn it into something 
that is within your potential. Remember, when we get on the other side, we're going to see all these potentials. We're going to see all the things we could have done. And do we want to be one saying, man, why didn't anybody tell me? Because I am here to tell you now, you can do it differently. You have choices. I don't care what your excuses are. There, You have limitations. We all have limitations. There's things you can't do. No question about it. But if you look at your barriers next to your choices, your barriers are like rocks that you might stub a toe on. That's all they are. They're things that are going to make it more difficult in some certain things that you do. The vast landscape before you is yours for the taking. It's your choice. Stop looking at yourself as if you're in this four-roomed or four-walled room with no door, ceiling, or window. Okay, you're looking over a landscape and you're looking at these tiny rocks and saying, I could stumble on that and die. Stop it, okay? Just just stop it. You're, you're more than you think you are. You have more capacity than you think you do. So take some time and think about what do you really want out of your life? What do you really want to make happen? What do you really want to see in this world that is not there? Because you are it. You are the one that is to fill in the gaps that this world has. And honestly, if every person on earth took this approach, this world could be fixed within a couple of years. I'm convinced of that, 100%. If we genuinely followed our hearts, followed God, I think it would only take a couple of years and 90% of the world's problems would be fixed. Now, I'm not, you know, we're, we, we can go on about what the world could do. I don't care. I care about what you do and what I do because we are the ones in the powering position of knowing these facts and knowing what capacity we have, or at least knowing that we have far more capacity than what we have. If you want to know your individual capacity, what you individually as a person are capable of, go to God. He knows you better than anybody, and he will speak to you. I promise you. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know by what method, but he will speak to you. He will answer. That's what kind of God he is. He is a God of love, and you are a child of love. Does a loving God and a loving child see, you know, not speak to each other? Of course they speak to each other. And yes, it's hard to understand each other at times. That's fine. That's fine. Take as long as it takes. But get to know your father. Get to know your father. Now, I could go on and talk about more in this experience. I love how she talks about how there are all these angels that are happening all the time around you, just little things, and she doesn't realize at the time that they were angels, and I love that. I love that, but I think I'm going to go ahead and and close up here because I want to end on this message of you can do with your life more than what you're doing. If you are feeling fulfilled and you feel like you're on your right path, if you're on that super highway, stay on that highway and encourage people around you to get on that highway. Not on your highway, on their highway. (laughs) But see, the point is, is that we are here for a purpose. And when we do our purpose, it's going to be awesome. We're going to find joy. It won't always be easy. Life is meant to be hard. We're here to learn lessons. But we're also here for joy. So, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash ndecast. 
And there's a link to that on neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. If you would like to share your experience, whatever kind of experience you've had, um, you can do that by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. That will give you a three-minute chunk of time to leave your message. If that's not enough time, just call right back and keep calling right back until you get your full message or comment or question shared. Um, and I can easily splice it together. I have to splice my own voice together when I do these podcasts, so it's not a problem. And with that, you guys, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much for listening. Thank you.